what's going on? I'm Justin Baldoni. And I'm Jamie Heath. And welcome to Man Enough, where every week we talk about what it means to be man enough. Or what we think it means to be man enough. Because nobody to, really knows. Nobody knows. We're just trying to figure it out. An undefining masculinity. Speaking of that, I love your hair. Thank you. I do. I like the way it looks. Wait, today. wait, 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 hold on. You I like so the, first of with all, the for headphones. anybody for anybody who's with listening, the headphones. My, my hair is in a uh, what is this called? A man bun? A man bun. Which is what it normally is. Why does it look different today? Um, it's you? the Because you give me so much shit about my hair. I do. You told I, me I looked I like you to Yanni it yesterday. Off. Well, you do look like Yanni. But okay, what I'm really <laughs> You should play Yanni in his, you know, in his movie. In his life story. Yeah. So we've had great conversations with a lot of people. Who's who we got next? Yeah, today we have Lil Rel Howry. Lil Rel is a fascinating guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he uh, he was one of the stars of my movie Clouds. He was. And we met on set. And um, I just loved his energy and his vibe. And he brought so much to that character. And what I also loved about him was he really cared deeply about getting Zach's story right. If you haven't seen Clouds, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. But Lil Rel is not just like the comic relief of the movie. He's he's also like a lot of the heart of the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, and it just I just had a great time talking to him. Mm. So I'm happy that he agreed to, so to join us today. So what are we hoping to get? So we're going to talk to him, not about the movies. No. Because that's great, but we can find that anywhere. No, yeah, his journey What's of, the purpose of yeah, him Yeah, well, I think we should talk about what it means to be a man to him. He lost his mom not long ago, and he wrote about it. He actually made a show about it. And uh, he's got a daughter, and he's got a few kids, and he loves those kids. So it was one of the first things he talked to me about was his kids, and he's mm -hmm. a great father. Sweet. There's so much. There's so much to talk about. And who knows? We're, we don't know where the conversation will go, but right. I have a feeling we're both going to laugh. So let's jump in. We'll be right back with... Lil Rahawri and Liz Plank. Hello, everybody. I'm Justin Baldoni. Welcome back to the Man Enough podcast. I'm here with my man, Jamie Heath and Liz Plank, author of For the Love of Men, my wonderful co-host. And we have my man, my friend, Lil Rao Howery here with us today. And I am so excited. I'm gonna do the awkward thing. I'm gonna read about you right now. So Lil Rel, you've seen him on Last Comic Standing, The Carmichael Show. He had his own show called Rel. He won Best Comedic Performance at the MTV Movie and TV Awards for his role in Get Out as the heroic TSA agent. He was just in Jude and the Black Messiah. So many movies. I, I, you probably have seven movies coming out in the next few months, and I'm so grateful you found the time to come join us on the Man Enough podcast, brother. So good to see you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's funny. It's always interesting here when people read your <laughs> the bio. It's happened a couple times, I guess, the last few interviews where they're reading my bio, and I'm sitting there listening. You know, sometimes you don't have time to be proud of yourself, but, like, I really am, man. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm from the west side of Chicago. Nobody in my family did this, so... Mm. You know, to, and it's, I don't know, I don't know if this sounds corny, but like, I, I was in the crib one day just chilling and I was watching like, I don't know, I was watching like commercials for other things I'm doing. Like, oh, this is weird. And I was like, yo, like, but like in a minute, 12 year old me was like, yo, you made it inside yeah. the TV. Like you actually inside of this thing that didn't the seem, box. it didn't seem real at first. Mm. So it was cool to actually be a part of this thing called Hollywood and I didn't yeah. know if that was realistic for a long time. I love hearing you say that because there's something that I struggle with as a man. We'll start off with that, which is I feel like no matter how much success I get, it's never enough. Mm. And maybe that's the culture we're living in. Maybe that's the like hustle mentality of like, you just got to keep grinding, keep hustling, never sleep, sleep when you die. 
But like, no matter what you do, there's always another ring on the ladder to climb. But it's a balance of it, bro. Like you, it don't like. I think if you're able to like, you should want more, right? You know, like it's things that I didn't know about until I got in this business that made me be like, okay, oh, I want to direct. I want to do this. I'll yeah. watch a Steven Spielberg documentary. I'm like, yo, that's no, that's what I want to do. I want to have like, I think that's what me and my friends are doing. So you do want more. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, you know, it depends on your intention. I think sometimes we forget that we have a fun job. A fun job. Like that's, this is what yeah. I asked to do. Yeah. So I don't want to dream. I'm not going to stress about the dream job. But what you said also, and and I'm curious what you think, Liz, is um, I know that I don't take enough time, like what you said, like you heard the bio and you said, man, that's kind of cool. I don't take enough time, and we've talked about this, Jamie, to like be like, wow, hold on, we're actually doing, like we're hosting a podcast right now with Lil Rel and we're talking about mm-hmm. important stuff or, man, I made that, I made that movie with, like I saw the posters when we walked into our office here in the set and I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then I'm just right back to business and I'm like thinking about, okay, the guest is coming on, but I never take time to celebrate. Mm. Do you talk, like, do you ever, besides that, do you take time to celebrate your victories? Yeah. And, and I've learned to do them on my own time. You know, I think, <laughs> cause my publicist get on me all the time cause she'll call me. She's excited. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. She's like, really? You never want to, but I'm like, let me, I like to own my own stuff. I don't have to do it with everybody. Yeah. It's my own celebration. So I've had like moments like, even when I did my um my stand up special live in Crenshaw, um It's great, man. You know, I kicked everybody out the um dressing room, green room, whatever it was, just full of people. And and I just had a conversation with my mom who passed away. So it was just me just mm-hmm. th- th- like I have moments, but I take them for myself. I don't Good. think I need to celebrate with there so most of the time everybody think like I guess he don't care, but like no, I I made a decision a while ago that um for me to really feel it, I'd rather do it on my own. Mm. You know what I'm saying? At least as long as, long as you're as long as you're doing it. Yeah. All right, we're gonna dive yeah. into the first. You want to ask the first? Well, I'm just uh, curious, you know, how that relates back to masculinity, right? That mm. um, you're talking about the latter; it just never ends. Like, is will it ever be? Will you ever feel successful enough as yeah, a man? But that's funny you say that. I think that's and, and think about this. this is really interesting. Me taking time to myself because most men don't even know if they deserve to take time emotionally to be vulnerable. Mm. And it doesn't mean I don't want to be vulnerable in front of people. And this could be for my dad, right? I remember this, this, this is just a true story is, you know, my when my mom passed, I mean, we was all at the hospital. It was a gang of people from like the church and all this stuff. And me and my brothers are crying, right? This is our mother. So like you almost cry like a little kid again yeah. when it's like your mom, you grown, but it's like, that's what it feels like. And he told us to stop, right? Mm. And we was like, man, bro, like, first of all, we grown, like, we will, we will kick your butt in here, bro. Like, I mean, we love you, but like, <laughs> my mama just died. You know what I mean? What are you talking about? And he was just like, no, let me say this to y'all. You know, you got to stop because we don't know those people out there. See, they want to see you vulnerable so they can take advantage of it. Like, he had already yeah. a mindset of them, wow. which I don't know if he's wrong, wrong about that. Because people, like, if you, if you know any church people, they be, it's people that just show up to hospitals. Mm-hmm. They're not even close with the family. They just love to come right. and grieve. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also part of our culture, right? In yes. a way, he's trying to protect you. Yes. Right? But it's hurting you. Well, that's why when he had his moment, right? He didn't cry at the funeral. And this was his best friend. Uh, he didn't cry at the hospital. It wasn't until we all stayed at the house together one day before I went back to New York and all this other stuff. And... um. 
we heard somebody downstairs crying. And I thought it was one of them, one of my brothers. I'm like, yo, who well, down there crying? We all walk out the rooms. And it's like, it's none of y'all. We went downstairs, and we never seen this man cry before. So you never seen your dad cry? Never seen him cry before. And yeah, I actually I saw my did dad cry. I, you know, yeah, dude, have you ever no, seen no, him? no, I have now, but I had never in my early years. It was crazy. I never, in my whole entire life, never heard his cry, never seen him cry. And he was downstairs. Him and my mother had these matching jean jackets. And I actually did this on an episode of Rail, actually. I did literally played this out, which was one of the toughest things I've ever shot because it was so personal so and... I had like moments in between takes, I'll be like bawling, crying. Mm. And just be, so my son played Little Me, so the kids was there to like give me a hug and Vanessa Bell Calloway played my mom and she just turned it to my mom that week we shot the show because I needed those hugs. But anyway, wow. he was downstairs, he put her jacket on instead of his and he could smell her scent uh. and he just, but we never seen him cry and we wow. didn't even know what to do with that actually. Mm. Like I'm like, should I touch his shoulder or do we watch him or? Should we leave? Yeah, because then there's this thing, and we talked about it, you know, in one of the episodes, is like you have this this proximity challenge with with your parents, like with, maybe with your father, where it's yeah. like, do I do I take him in? Do I like do, do I hug him? Do I touch him? Like, what's what's appropriate? For, did you feel like kind of awkward in that moment? Like you don't know? Yeah, because in that moment, also I realized my mom was all of our emotional vulnerable connect, mm. so that's what we all would be vulnerable around at our own time. So when she was gone, wow. we didn't know what to do with those emotions, actually. Mm -hmm. We were really like, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know if we should hug each other. We, we, didn't, we didn't know. Wow. I think the only thing we figured out was, and it was just from her advice, what she wrote in her journal before she passed, she just wrote a, you know, she wrote to us, you know. What did she write? It was different things for different people. I mean, some things, like one of the things, that, like, and it took me, maybe until a few years ago where I felt very guilty for a long time because I wasn't comfortable seeing her in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't do it. Like the, I, I was like, I can't do this and function. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so I wouldn't go as much as I should have. Was she in the hospital for a long time? She was in and out a lot. It happened so, it happened really fast too. It wasn't like a long drawn out thing, bro. It was like six months and boom, she was gone. But what I did was I started, I went on the road heavy. So while she was sick, I'm like, I'm just- Distract I'm, yourself. I got to hustle. That's yeah. what my thought I was doing. And, you know, she put in the journal like, yo, I really want, you know, she'll call me Terry, my nickname for her. And she's like, I wish Terry was here. And he's the one I usually talk to. Cause we got really close as adults, which is interesting. Like me and my mom was close when I was younger, but as an adult, uh, and she journaled things. I honestly believe she could have been an author, you know, and I told her that when I found her first job, I was looking for one of my comedy books mm -hmm. and I found this random journal and she journaled being a new mom, a new husband. And it was such an honest way to write it. Wow. It was beautiful to read. And I remember like <laughs> tearing up, looking at it. I told her, I said, look, I read your journal. I thought she would get, she would have got mad, but she wasn't mad. She was like, happy somebody Mm. Read, read the thoughts yeah. and she, I'm like, yo, yeah. this is good. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I love this story about your mother and and I would love to know because all of you are fathers, mm -hmm. right? And this relationship with your father that you describe is 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 really interesting and but also there's limits to it, right? Yeah. Not being able to cry and being told not to cry when you're going through some something really tragic. Has it changed you as a father? Right? How has your relationships with your father affected the way that you father? It goes back to both of them, right? Once again, my mom was our emotional connect. So 
<laughs> so when she died, this is just we all thought. So she used to take me to Bennigan's on Friday, right? And I thought she was only doing that with me. I didn't realize <laughs> I was Fridays. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> she had Tuesdays, Saturdays. Yeah, she had different days for everybody else to spend one-on-one time with them where you can just vent to her about anything. Wow, she so sounds she, amazing. Man, she was cool. Like, I'd tell my sixth grade problems, and she'd be listening like they were grown problems. <laughs> and that became a huge thing. But then my dad, in the beginning with him, I struggled a lot. And we talked about this maybe a few years ago, right? Um, Where, like, it felt like he challenged every type of thing I can do that he couldn't do. So when I played basketball and I'm short, he was like, so how you gonna make the team? You little like fam, cause I can hoop, you know what I'm saying? But it was always, it always felt like what he couldn't do. He had kind of put that on me a little bit, mm-hmm. but then he weirdly was still supported. I just, I didn't understand how that, he was able to be negative about it, but still was like, okay, well what you need? You know what I'm saying? And it was tough. So I think for a long time I did battle with I think I, I act like I didn't care that he if he was proud of me or not, right? That's what got me through it. But then I really did. Yeah. And even when I started doing stand-up, I didn't think he cared. But then I ended up seeing somebody at his job one day, and they're like, man, your dad talks about you all the time. So talk about me doing what? Wow. He like stand-up. He pass, he's passed around. He passed out your flyers for your shows. Mm. Like he does? Like, but he never said nothing. Never says it to me about it. He never said it. You do a good or pr-. he never said nothing. Like, so he, your dad. So your dad's never told you he's proud of you. He has now because he got you know other life things happen where he just after, especially after my mom, then my my middle brother passed away. That was that was I think that was just mm-hmm. his emotional. He was done. That's when I saw my father as a father in a way. Mm-hmm. My my brother on his last days, me and him, I I stayed the night with him, and he told me everything he needed done. You just like, yo, if I miraculously come back, fine. If not, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to sit there like that. Take me off of it. I'm telling you because everybody else is not going to be able to do it. So when it came down to that, my dad, I had to argue with him. You get it. How do you pull the plug on your on your, on your child? Son. Because you don't want to give up. That's your son. You know, and I, I had to look at it from that perspective. Like, dad, he told me this is what he wants. He's like, no, he could. My fam, I know this is your son. I get it. Mm-hmm. This is what he asked me to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sorry. Like, and it was tough. Why? And I, wow. It took mm-hmm. me, I had to take myself out of the equation of being his son. I had to just think as another dad. Did you get to grieve when you lost your brother? Because you were, it seemed like you then were put in a situation where you had to be the father. I did both. I, I It was tough because I was in New York shooting a series. And that's why to this day, you know, shouts out Jermaine Fowler, the Lucas Brothers, Kevin Barnett, Joshua Benowitz, Jim Bartels. It was a, it was heavy on me, and um, you know, we all had to write our sketches, and st- I couldn't yeah. do anything. And all of them filled in to do my job for me, so I at least still get paid. Wow, and good. I loved them for that. You know what I'm saying? Because it was, it was tough. I was, because I was trying to, you know, I'm the oldest, so like, it's an even more crazy if losing a you can't do nothing to protect your, you know, your younger brother. Mm. So that was tough. I, I think I didn't get a chance to grieve at first until I, I showed up at the funeral. I couldn't even walk in, you know, because by walking in, it would be real. Well, he's there, you know, black funerals. We got the casket open. <laughs> you know, what mm-hmm. I mean? it's, it's a whole thing. The family got to come in together. And I kept telling my family, I know y'all had a day or two to go to the funeral home. I came here straight from New York to this funeral. I'm not ready to see him like that. Yet. 
And I literally, as I walked in, it was like I froze. I couldn't move past a certain, um, you know, the church seats. Yeah. And I just turned back around and ran out. And I know it looked dramatic to everybody, but I'm like, dude, y'all don't even know. I don't know. I can't. I'm not ready yet. So I ran ran out to church. My ex-wife, parents at the time, they gave me a hug. And and I don't know why I just hugged them. I'm like, we weren't even that close. But I'm like, I need a hug from somebody. Mm. (laughs) Can men ask for hugs? Jamie, have you ever asked a man for, for a hug? I mean, I ask every day. Every day. I, but now I've learned that from my father because my father does hug me. Mm. But I, let me let me ask yeah. you a question about something that you had said. I want to know why we as men oftentimes downplay or feel is it like um, we're not allowed to, mm. to celebrate almost like, you know, I'm too cool for that or I can't show emotion. I can't be vulnerable. Well, and that's what I heard a little bit when you said I'll do it my own time. I was like, well, why won't you let yourself be vulnerable? Well, I don't know why. I don't well, know if I we've think, ever... I think I got an answer for what you. Got, mm. What do you think is the answer? Well, I, I think it's historical, first of all. Yeah. So like your father, as you had said, didn't really celebrate you. But behind closed doors, he was celebrating you. Mm. So we know historically, black folk, we always wanted to stay low key. Mm. Because if you were successful, then you were traded from one plantation to the next because you were strong or you could make you know strong babies. So mothers and fathers got in the habit of downplaying us because mm. we didn't want you to be seen as a mm. prize. So historically, what we've seen now with our fathers, it's like, and plus we, we never get out of the streets, really. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say never, but, you know, we normally are still there. So it's almost like false hope. I don't want to give him false hope. Mm. I don't want to mm-hmm. celebrate him too much because he's just going to fall down and be flat. He ain't never getting out of here. Mm. Behind closed doors, he can celebrate you. But the message that we're getting constantly is we can't celebrate. We can't be joyful. Our, our, our sights are set low. Mm. You know, so then now you hear and you've done something that you, the rest of your family's never done. And now you hear have a lot to celebrate about. Well, hold on. Let me say this, though. That's why I think it's a balance. Right. And it's so funny you say that if it's my family and I don't get the chance to do it a lot. That's why, like, I think for the last few films, if I've may, been able to do it, I've went back to Chicago, made these studios do a Chicago screening. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them they need two theaters. One theater is literally just going to be my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they show, up, they show up with little rail shirts on and yes, all that type of stuff. So, like, I, I'm i very comfortable with my family celebrating. I, I really am. Good. And, but then, this is, this is a whole nother perspective of it, too. I do it here because I, people, they, they, it's literally energy leeches in this city. Yeah. In this town. And I don't trust it. Mm-hmm. And it's been times where I've trusted people with certain celebrations of energy and right away, you can see the smiles ain't genuine or it's just jealousy. There's, oh, a lot of, it's just, there's a lot it's of jealousy. Scary. It's scary when you feel that, but they're smile. So I'm like, look, if y'all not my family, <laughs> get out of here. Give me a second. You know, and I think I've learned to do yeah. that for myself because I think, and that's so interesting because we, you know, our business is different, right? Where it's so, it's so many dreamers out here. It's so many people trying to figure out how to get themselves in. It's a lot. And if you don't protect that, yeah. That's tough also. Also, what you were saying, too, just to uh, hit back to that, is like, especially as a black man, it was a time where 
I felt uncomfortable being successful, which mm-hmm. why you see a lot of people are spending their money fast or just go, because you're like, I think it's somebody gonna come get this money. Mm. That's right. <laughs> you know, I can't let There's nobody know about this. There's a history for that. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> a history I got for it, that. but I ain't got it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> That's a rational fear. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but so I, I think that's what's interesting about the way I believe we're bringing up our children is just to be comfortable being human, be mm. comfortable being an American. Mm. Well, that goes back to kind of what Liz was asking. That's is right. How, so you clearly, like your mom was your emotional backbone of the family. Yeah. And your dad is someone that never really told you he was proud of you, and except behind your Until back. recently. Until like, recently, right? Which, which is something that happens as we get older. Like you see older men change they when, get, they, when they lose their bravado and they become a little. Mm. Well, that's why we have to change the language of things, right? Because it was a time we'd be like, well, he's getting soft. And that's not what he's doing. He's actually becoming a better... Yeah. Strong. But what does it mean to get soft, right? Well, well, we think about when somebody shows emotion and shows... Like when, you know, mm. my dad, when he started... I started bringing him to these screens. It really wasn't until the Carmichael show. And we was watching it together. And he was talking as if Bobby wasn't me. Like, that Bobby is funny, ain't he? I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's wow. me, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I love that body comic, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but then you know, but it, when he started, we started just sitting down. Sometimes he's just like, "Yo, you really good, man. You really kill it. Oh, mm-hmm. you do this." And like he said, mm-hmm. "I think it's blowing his mind." I'm like the first person in my family to do this. Yeah. So to be sitting in movie theaters and to watch, like, and that's why I love it. But my family is insanely supportive mm-hmm. in any way you could think of, and I, I think they're just like. I love how fascinated they are by like, yo, you really doing that. Did your brothers get the same support that you get from your dad? Yeah. I, well, this thing about my middle brother who passed away, they were really close. Mm. And that's the thing about parents. I mean, we don't admit to things. I don't think we have favorite kids. But I do think once, even when you get a little older, somebody, one of your siblings might be closer to your mom or dad than you are, right? It just yeah. They became buddies. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like I can see that they spent a lot of time together. And, and no parent should ever have to bury a child. That's gotta be that's the hardest uh, nah, thing in the it world. Was, you could I could I was thinking about this the other day. We was, I was looking at an old picture with my dad, my brothers, who's all little, little. And I do think like my middle brother left enough of a legacy with his children and he got a chance yeah. to see him do some things and be successful in some things. And I'm like, dang, this had to be tough. It was tough for him to let him go. You are listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We will be right back. So how does your parenting style change? Because I know you are raising, you're very close to your daughter. Yeah. Well, I got my daughter and I got two boys, right? How old are they? My daughter's 12. My son's 11. They like, they're not twins, but you know how to go. They're the same age for like almost a month. And then uh, my youngest, he'll be three. Um, Now, I gotta ask. So this youngest, yeah, is this the one that you recently found out about? Yeah, well, that story. There's a there's some a, crazy it's a, story. It's a crazy story attached to it, and it's, it was it was a lot. I went through a lot with that, but um, man, this is where I learned maturity, and I learned it. Like you know, I I can we like, talk about that story? Because that that's like well, yeah, that's well, something out of like a telenovela. We, we could talk a little bit about okay. it. but I've I've told her just for our relationship, and just because we're in a good place where we figuring everything out you had to go through a lot of court stuff that just recently was done and everything so um but it was tough it was a weird tough thing but then like 
I don't know anybody else that would have handled it the way I have. But that's what's amazing about it is, <laughs> I'm for, like, you know, for anybody who's listening, essentially you found out you had a son and you fought for well, to be a part of his life. Well, right? two things. No, I knew he was my son. What was happening was, and I try not to talk too much detail about because it it's stuff that's already yeah. out there. But, okay. you know, we found out, I found out, and I say we is me and my, my family, um, that she said she told somebody else that the, it, so me and his brother thought we was raised, we was raising the same kid at the same time. So we both thought we did that, and then I found out. It's a crazy story. It's a crazy like, story. Mm. Uh, but it's so funny because you, when people do crazy stuff like that, they do not like talking about it. But like, nah, I don't, can we not talk? Like, well, you did it. I mean, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> um, but you know, he's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little boy. Um, Brittany and Judah adore him. They honestly was my because I, you know, grown people judge a little more. This was a lesson for my kids along with me was like, I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. So I promise you, whatever you do, you can talk to me about it. As wow. you can see, I'm not, because most adults to their children are portray perfection. Like superheroes. Yeah, I know everything, this and that. And one was, day they got to fall from it. grace. One Man, day they have to. It's a, I honestly thought it was a blessing in disguise because mm. I was like, yo, honestly, they started telling me more after this. Really? Because I'm like, look, who I can't judge you. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to say? <laughs> I showed up with a whole new little brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> you I know, know what I mean? Like, well, okay, y'all want to talk? You know, and, but what I love about them was as soon as I picked him up, as soon as I did the intro, uh, you know, a few years ago when, every, when he first got here, Brittany, at first Brittany was so uncomfortable with it. You know, this is daddy's little girl. She sees me in this high regard. Mm. When I told her, she was like literally physically like sick. Like, mm -hmm. what did you just do? Everything we was told, you had to be married. You had to do this or that. And it was so. It was just so. It just blew her. Because you know you'd I mean? been raising her a certain way. It, but it ain't just me. You know, we everybody has their views. You got yeah. the grandparents' views. You, mm -hmm. They hear from everybody different perspectives on what it is. Especially if you grew up in the church, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I am a free spirit. I mean, I, we in a free spirit business. I just think differently. Sometimes I have to tell them, like, fam, that's a little too religious. I don't have, I mean, whatever you decide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but when she saw him for the first time, she wouldn't put him down. Oh. Now, man. I knew because, look, Judah and Brittany, those are two oldest, are close to age, so she, Judah gets on her nerves. He's annoying to her half the time. So now you got this new little guy who's just going to be around you and do what you say. It's a little different. So like, oh, I don't have to do with the annoying brother no more. We just know he's getting away with murder because he just know I'm going to be there anyway. But this little one, but she was, both of them were very much there. They became, to me, like, the, I became closer friends with them through this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I trust them. I'm like, damn, mm. I know y'all little kids, but I trust y'all more than I do most people because you wow. have legit love. And it, it was, believe me, it was tough. It was just, yeah. just but, having but that. So you turn that into, you turn that into a parenting moment, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So let me ask you something with, with that. You, um, so part of the reason why we're doing this podcast and Justin wrote this book, Man Enough, is um, from his perspective and not just his, but like his journey yeah. about how to ultimately um, rid himself of a lot of the things that he's learned along the way about what it means to be a man. We all carry that stuff. So one of the ways we do that is with our next generation. So we talking about kids. What are some ways that you are consciously aware of and you tangibly do with your children to make our next generation better than what we're doing now? Well, this is a great thing about my dad. One thing I give him is 
he did raise us to be gentlemen, right? Like for real, like the smallest things, like he didn't have a car, so we took the bus everywhere. So I don't care, I to my, I remember as little as being four with my little legs and I, I don't know if I feel like standing up on no bus, but he like, look, the women gonna sit down, get, it, get your seat to a woman, like just stuff like that. You know, it's just, he always did very gentleman stuff like that, right? One of the things he, you know, he didn't do, even my mom a little bit didn't do enough of it was tell each other we love each other. So it's so crazy. And I was noticing this the other day, me and the kids say, I love you. You know, if we get off the phone, if it, it's just, it's just what we say. It's just mm. so casually thrown out there. I'm like, dang, that's just, that's just what they, this is what we do. But that was like one of those things I would hear every blue moon type of thing from mm. my mom and dad. But we just didn't consistently before we went to bed. I love you. Good night. That just wasn't a thing. Yeah. And we say it a lot. And I, even my friends, my homeboys, like it's what they love about Gerard Carmichael is Gerard is, you know, I think a lot of us understood we had to change the narrative the way we were raised. So in these friendships, we all be like, oh, I love you, brother. Like, so to even just tell another man that's no kin to me mm-hmm. was next level to be like, hey, man, I love you. It's no big deal. Love you, man. All right, love you too. Give me a hug. All right, yeah, why you. is it hard to, to do that, do you think? <sighs> it's, we never really had these discussions with like the guys the generation before us. Because that's who that's passed down. That's why yeah. it's hard. You don't even know. I don't even. I can't do anything. I don't know how to do. You understand what I'm saying? So like, it's interesting you say that. It makes me like want to just like sit down with my dad, just like talk, like bro, like what? Yeah. You know, between you and my granddad, which you know, when I think about it now, I can see where that was off at too, right? Where it's like, because yeah. I never heard my grandfather tell him mm. that. Could you sit down with your father and talk about this stuff? I I won't. Yeah, I'm calm. You know what's funny? You want to do it on the show? Should we call him? Let me have Tony Robbins on the show. No. this right now. Let's do it now. I want to put him on the show. But no, I, I'm joking. But that's I'm why I like, I'm man and I mean, this sounds, but I'm man enough to do that now. Yeah, okay. Mm. I'm a grown man. Like when you know, when you really step into saying, I'm an adult, yes, I can sit down with this other man. Brother, why? And it's not even like to like, I'm not nitpicking at him. I want him. I want to understand, like, why? Like, how do you feel about that, Dad? Like, did you feel weird about that? Mm. Did you want to talk more to Granddad about things? I don't think that was ever talked about, actually. And, and why haven't you had that conversation? With I don't because I never thought of. I think until you know, doing stuff like this and just having really honest discussions with my friends of recently. I think that's why I think what quarantine did make a lot of a lot of us as close just talk. Yeah. Mm. And um, I don't know if I felt grown enough to have this grown man conversation with my dad. Yeah. I feel like I had to match his man, which I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> or it could be because I take care of him now. Like, well, you gonna listen because I pay for everything. You know? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> mm. but no, I think it's it's so interesting. I never thought about it from the, his perspective on like, dang, maybe he really need to get mm. something off his chest and that he's never... Nobody's mm. ever talked to him about. Mm. When I was writing my book, I talked to my dad a lot about his dad. Mm. And I found out, I, you know, thinking about how I was raised, I found out that my grandfather never said I love you to him. Mm. He only told my nana, his wife, that he was proud of him indirectly. Mm. And now my grandfather was a senator. He was an Italian immigrant and... You know, he had this like pride, you know, and and wanted dad to assimilate in America. But I realized that my dad in so many ways, similar to what you're doing, he had tells me he loves me 50 times a day if he could. He would hug me and kiss me and tell me. And it's like, he just always wants to remind me that he loves me because he never heard it 
from his dad, mm. right? And, and it's so funny how we never think about the chain of right. events and the generational um, scripts that were passed. Like my, my, my dad, uh, my grandfather never went to one of my dad's football games, mm. like in middle school, like in junior high, like peewee football or whatever it was. And mm. He never went. So my dad always, mm. he would not miss a soccer game. He was just there every single time. And that's kind of how yeah. we, seems like how we learn. And it also feels like men develop these alternative languages or like different codes of checking in and saying, so at the beginning of the pandemic, sports went away, right? Mm -hmm. No basketball, no, ba no baseball, everything goes away. And I was speaking to one of my male neighbors and I said, you know, what's the thing you miss the most about baseball? And he was a hardcore Yankees fan. And I expect like the game, I don't know, the snacks. I don't know. I don't watch sports, so I don't know what you guys get out Can of I it. Can I guess? Can I um, guess? Sure. Talking about it with his buddies? Talking about, first of all, he tears up. No. And I'm like, and he says, talking about it with my dad. And then oh, I asked yeah. another male friend of mine, I said, what do you miss the most? And he said, you know, I miss it, but the way that it has changed my relationship with my father is so interesting because for the first time ever, my dad is asked me, how are you? His way of checking in and asking, how are you, is to wow. talk about the game. So it's not that, you know, there's a complete absence and like, you mm. know, his dad is a complete asshole, but sports becomes like this love language, this yeah. place where men can be intimate with each other because there's like sports in between, right? And I think there's so many of those sort of social It's like the icebreaker. You know, I think about me and my brother's relationship. We were so close to age that so we would bump heads all the time. But we will always make up watching a Bulls game at a sports bar, right? Yeah. Mm. This sounds crazy. It would start out as like, that's why we're here. And then we just start talking about life stuff and maybe this is what we should do. We got to look out for dad. We got to do this. Like, that's actually one of the things I miss the most about him, actually. You would thought we had a sports podcast. We would talk, we would talk for hours mm -hmm. as if we had a post game show. <laughs> <laughs> And that tied us together. That's so, wow. I never thought about it like that. I think there was always a way to check in on each other. and just Liz Plank, sure Liz Plank dropping the knowledge. I mean, I tried to do a doc about this. No one gave me any money. Uh, but well, I think it's a great idea. Come talk to wait for I, I, mean, I think it's a great idea. Because uh. that's what I kept seeing. I, wow. I and, and I just thought, hmm. how fascinating. And, and also it's a social experiment that's never been done, that could never be redone, what, right? What's the female version of that? Well, women, so... If you look at the research on friendship, it's very interesting the way that women and men just in general um, approach friendship differently. So women um, tend to do this thing called face-to-face -face friendship, and men tend to do this thing called shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. So mm. women will meet up and face each other and say, how are you? Literally the first thing. And, and if a woman doesn't ask me that first, I'm almost, I'll be uncomfortable. If she asks me about, a, I don't know, a game, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, what's going on right now? Um, does she hate me? So we do face to face and we connect that way. And men tend to connect shoulder to shoulder. So they're drinking a beer or they're both watching the game, right? So they're shooting shoulder to shoulder. Basketball, shooting, exactly. Even driving. There you go. And so I don't think one is better than the other, but I do think that we deny men that intimacy and that connection of that face-to-face -face friendship. And one of the things that was really funny writing the book is that one of my friends told me, I dress down to meet with other men. Like if I were ever to wear like cologne when I meet up with my guy friends, it would be weird. But women, you guys go to brunch together and like you really dress up for each other. And mm. he thought it was like very sweet mm -hmm. and was like, I wish men kind of did that too. It's almost like it's better, like the less we care, the more we're accepted. Right. Yeah. Like the less, like the more confident you are. I don't think I don't so. Know. I, like you, that's because it, it, it could go two ways, right? You got your friend that looks 
Like, fam, what you got on, bro? Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah, because like, we going on a date later. We also right? know we're going out, and it, it could be a chance that it is ladies there, right? So, there like, you go. That's a whole nother mindset with, like, you know, and also, so that's it's so weird okay. to have this conversation. Because I think you should actually do that documentary on the sports. <laughs> because I do think it's a real tie-in. That, mm. That's the only time when I think about it that I'm comfortable with a group of my homeboys is doing sporting things. And it, it can turn into a mm. real conversation. If I was on the west side of Chicago, even at, at a family event at a house, I don't think the men would sit down. We usually sit on the couch and watch sports. That's like right. that is, that's yeah. the only, and then sometimes it won't happen that way unless you meet a, somebody else who's actually comfortable in their own skin and had a conversation. When I did meet my group of friends, I do have, this is why I love them so much, man. You know, I've had so many moments where and I, I shout out to Gerard them again, like even when they've been able to sit me down as a man and tell me when I'm wrong or off. That's really important. Are you okay? Do you feel there's a lot of pressure on you? We mm -hmm. see you acting differently. What's up? Wow. And I don't, once again, I don't know if it's because of this business that we're a little more, I don't know, but I am always thankful that, I mean, Jermaine Fowler is a great example. I mean, we did, did uh, we did the Olivia Color reboot. We was on the cast so when he, whenever they did that, it happened, but y'all never see it. <laughs> uh, but he has so much energy, right? He was just so excited that it irritated him. His happiness irritated mm. me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I was still coming from Chicago, dealing with that energy. And that's so crazy. It was, it was certain energy that I didn't even realize that I had coming from. It was just anger, man. Yeah. Even though it was some happy, it was happy happening for me. I felt more pressure about, man, I got to get it together. I got to get this check. You know, he was like, yo, let's get let's get some Xboxes without per diem. I'm like, what? I got to send this home to my wife. <laughs> Xboxes? <laughs> With the per diem? You don't want to eat? Because uh, <laughs> you know that's that young energy, right? You're like, what are you talking about? Why are you so happy? Uh, and so, you know, it was so funny. I was like very irritated by him for a while. Until we went to the comedy club, I don't know. I don't know why this changed my respect for him. But he went on stage. He was absolutely hysterical, but my type of hysteric. Like I'm like, dude, this dude is talented. And we sat down. We realized we both were huge Eddie Murphy fans, mm. and just started talking about Eddie and stuff like that. But I, I applaud. I get Jermaine props because he was the first one out that group I met, and I was like, yo, you just really love this. I didn't realize I was around a bunch of bitter people or overly mm. competitive. Or like we, we shouldn't be friends because we all trying to get it. You know, it's just that type of thing. Mm. And then I met this kid who's just like, yo, we all love this. It's okay. And I'm mm. like, oh, these are the other TV and film nerds that I didn't know existed. Mm. <laughs> right. Mm. So I met my 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 emotionally available friends of nerds. Love that. <laughs> they changed my whole because it's cats I can't hang out with no more because of that. Yeah. They're yeah. like, they are in a dark space, man. Yeah. And I don't even know what to tell them to get them out of it. Mm, right. It seems like they're stuck in this cage, right? Of of, of sort of masculinity, these yeah. ideals that are so ingrained. You know, I think it was one of those things when Gerard and those guys sat down with me and I had to just think about what was stressing me out. What was I doing to deal with that stress? Mm. Mm. You know, we do all the other stuff. You go, you go out and you drink, you're doing this. And yeah, I'm like, distractions. Nah, that's not good, you know? And I enjoy getting massages. I like getting a manicure. I like being treated nicely. 
And, you know, once again, a lot of those things, as a man, you're Mm. not supposed to enjoy. Right. Oh, oh, that's soft. I mean, and I had to get out of that. I really felt, because I felt like that for even just. Is there a a time, though, that you would have called yourself soft? 100%. So what changed between then and now? Because, and this is interesting, I've never had a pedicure and a manicure. And it's not. I've never, I'm I, I've never actually I'm sorry, hold on a second. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I, I don't know if ask, I believe ask that. Ask my wife. I, here's the thing. It's, I might be, I might be progressive in a lot of ways, but for some, I don't know. I've, I've never actually had it. And I always find it funny when dudes tell me Dude, that they love it. It's great. I'm just the weirdest thing. I've never had it. I'm going to, don't, you and I will go. James. We'll do it on set. I'm take, I'm, oh we'll, yeah, no, I'm taking We'll have it. you back. But, but is there a time, and maybe it's because where I grew up, people were made fun of for that or whatever. But yeah, like, 100%. Part, part so you would have, so there was a time when you would have made fun of your boys for calling them, for getting a. I'd have made fun of my boys, myself, like, man, I ain't doing that, man. So, you know, so it, the best what I'm saying, like one day you get comfortable. Like, I think all men have all the, these moments of vulnerability. We just. Either you keep it secret because you're like, ain't nobody else thinking like this. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or you don't realize this. This is how you find your real friends is when you start yeah. opening it up about New York. And New York changed that too, actually. When I was in New York, I'll never forget. New York is one of the most underappreciated cities of how diverse it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. It's very segregated. Uh, it's very racist. a lot of things. Mm-hmm. First day in New York, I go get a slice of pizza. I'm living in New York. I see this big black dude with dreads. This short gay Puerto Rican guy, this this white dude. I didn't think they would know each other. They walked in and they high five and they hug it and they talk it and they laugh it. That sounds lovely. Like, I'm like, how did y'all meet? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> where did y'all meet? Why did... <laughs> well, when backstory? I tell you they were having, they were just happy to see each other. Yeah. I've never seen that before in mm. Chicago. Mm. The shoulder to shoulder thing is a real thing. That is how you meet other dudes, right? Yeah. It's most of the time the TV's right there. You are sitting yeah. there. The way to they, I think they set it up like that. I don't they do. That, yeah. so, it's intentional. It's intentional. So yeah. you're like, oh, what was that? And the dude like, yeah, I know it's terrible. Mm. Like I know, right? Mm. You know. So the next thing you know, you're talking. Well, it's to limit eye contact because eye contact is is vulnerability. Too intimate. Right? I know. I can see your eyes. That's what I'm saying. So it's, it's funny. I never thought about it like that, but I'm like, yeah, most of the dudes I've met. Has been shoulder to shoulder. Like I've never, I'm like never really like said, "Let you sit there, and I'm gonna sit here. We go just stare at each other." That's right. <laughs> I don't we don't stare at each other. But New York yeah. changed that. But New York changed New York your changed, feeling. Like man, a, I started having care a, a great diverse of friends. Which once again, diversity. Because yeah. some of this stuff wasn't just being a man; it's being a black man. Right. Yeah. It's some things I didn't think I would be accepted in doing. Or certain places I couldn't go, and being in New York. These diverse group of friends let me go to places I've never been before. Like mm-hmm. where? Like what? Certain restaurants. Mm-hmm. It was places I've honestly. It's places I've walked past in L.A. where I'm like, nah, I ain't gonna go there. I drive all the way to Inglewood just to kick <laughs> it. But I'm like, nah, that ain't my spot. But then guess what? I think at some point that had to change too for me. Like you know, some I deserve to be anywhere. I'm tax taxpayer citizen like everybody else. This is in my neighborhood. I should go to this. So like all that stuff. I think the diversity of friends changed that. And then a lot of my 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 homegirls, man, like hanging out with a group of women, it could be the best thing you could do. Where like if you're not like being a thirst bucket, <laughs> for real, you just being a friend. If you like, I'm yeah. gonna just hang out with y'all, and we just gonna all talk. And we, I do that all the time. Mm. And some of those really real conversations I have about maybe the way I see things is because of them. And then my daughter mm. having a little girl changes. I mean, like. Everything, yeah. bro. Like yeah. so even with, like she recently got a period, 
And that whole saga is a different thing because <laughs> every woman I dated, if it was that time of the month, I just left them alone. I left them alone. Whatever you want me to do, that's what it is. This is the first time I, underst- I understood how maybe embarrassing this is, mm. how shameful you could feel when yeah. it's first. Like, but no woman has ever really talked about it to me, actually. Which yeah. I think that has to change a little bit because mm. if you want us to understand, you should. But my daughter, her, you know, her not being comfortable talking to me at first was kind of tough. And my how ex- did you find out? Did she tell you? No, my ex-wife told me. She's like, oh, she, wow. she wants to talk. She's not ready yet. She's embarrassed. Blah, blah, blah. Just be cool. Be whatever. And I was like, all right. Embarrassed. Mm. And then it was a, she was with me and, you know, the friend came and I went to the store and I bought everything. Like I didn't, <laughs> I was, I, stuff for grandmothers probably and I, whatever was on that shelf. I was like, the wings? With the wings? This, okay. I didn't know what I was getting. Adult diapers. Yeah. I remember the lady was ringing me up looking at me like, what's going on? You <laughs> <laughs> better have a shelter somewhere. No. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I actually have a question for Liz based on that. Uh, why would a why would a young how old is your daughter? She's twelve. Why would a twelve thirteen year old girl uh, be embarrassed about mm. her period? Because our entire culture is built on shaming women for their bodies and mm. their sexuality, and women talk about it amongst ourselves. Yeah, I think we internalize the shame though. And um, I remember when I got my period, <laughs> I was so yeah humiliated i was sad i was like now i'm gonna have to do this every month for the rest of my life kind of thing i also thought i couldn't eat chips when i was on my period because i knew it gave you stomach aches so i was like i i do you can't eat chips uh just so you know when you're on your period but i thought it was like gonna be the end of my life because i really like chips so my parents left the house they were out for like a walk and i like full-on screamed like a horror movie like like this like really primal belly scream. primal because i was like i don't want this i don't mm. want it um and so it's it's a lot of that and i think there's something so beautiful and rare about a man asking us questions about it not in a way of like what can i do to get away and so that you can yeah. handle this but how can i learn more about this how can i make you feel more comfortable yeah because as men we tend to i remember growing up and like the guys being like oh it's gross That's or, Look, just leave her alone. Whatever. Give her yeah. But what you said, you said yeah. that's something's got to change. Talk to us about it. But I think more than that is something's got to change. Is we got to ask them about you gotta it. Ask. Yeah. We got to ask. Yeah. And, that's true. That's and so like true. you know, with that in, with that intention, my daughter, who's my eldest daughter, I remember the day when she got her period because I was out playing basketball, and my phone rang, and she said, "Daddy, Daddy, I got my period." Oh. And I'm in the middle of the court crying. Because not because she got a period, because that she felt safe. Like the fact that, and I had never like told her she was supposed to tell me. She just, I was the first person she called. Mm. But you're you're also, and I can just say this as one of his best friends. He is a phenomenal father, and and I can tell you are too, man. Mm. Like it's just, it's such a beautiful thing that you were able to go mm. and get that. But she opened up to me at that. At that, grabbed everything. She Mm -hmm. came. She picked. She knew what it was. (laughs) I think she was just impressed that. Of course. I was able to do, you, I will yeah. do anything to make sure you're okay. Yeah. Whenever you're ready to talk to me yeah. about it, it's fine. And you didn't do this. You didn't be like, here's your stuff. Right. Here. Yeah. Like, and make yes. it feel shameful, right? You was there. I was there. And I, like, when she was like, all right, I'm like, all right. Well. And I remember <laughs> when my, so the only time I've ever done that is when my wife ran out and mm. she asked me to go to the store. And I remember being excited and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I, but I also remember walking into the store <laughs> and feeling so embarrassed to be in that aisle. And, I'm, and I was like, 
what, and I remember like, again, this is the thing with masculinity. Like you might be excited to do something or thinking of something. And then there's this thing. It's almost like this invisible wall that you have to walk through where you're mm -hmm. like, what, what's my hesitation with walking into mm -hmm. the feminine products aisle. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you walk in and you're looking at thing. And I remember, like, I remember taking a picture and sending it to her. Like, I have no idea what to get. Mm -hmm. But then the next step is when you go to the, the checkout lady, mm -hmm. I remember feeling embarrassed, which is the weirdest thing. Isn't that weird? I have no, and there's, there's like no rational Instead explanation. Instead of just holding it and standing up like it's for my wife. strong yeah. and like yeah. proud, like I'm getting but this for my woman. where does that embarrassment right. come from? Right. And like, all, what yeah. is that about? Yeah. And why is toilet? Especially if it's yeah. not for us. Like, why do we, why are we embarrassed about something we're not even. <laughs> we're not, <laughs> and and life has to be like he has to be getting this life mm. literally doesn't because continue on the planet without women yeah. having their period. it goes back to something right. vulnerable maybe you know it's it's like intimate mm. showing showing up with something like that because you know when you buy even buy male product there's some things that's kind of like you don't want to make eye contact but, yeah it's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, well you buy condoms i mean oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you're like uh, <laughs> Pile on another a bunch of stuff around. Yeah, it's like what what else can I buy? Yeah, to like donuts, condoms. But even when you think about it from like a policy level and a governmental level, like in many states, we do not tax candy, we don't tax alcohol, we don't tax. There are like literal laws on the books about like not taxing lard, but then tampons and pads are taxed. Mm. And razors, pink razors. Right, like there's, the, there's there's the pink, the pink tax. tax. But I think there's something really interesting. Like why, Wait, yeah, pink why razors, not regular razors. So women, there's like a pink tax. So women pay more for shittier razors. It's less not an blades. actual tax. It's more. Of like I understand. A, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's wow. just right. So yeah, I, I just think there's that again that element of secrecy, that amount, that that element of this is yours and this is your burden, and. I have been loving some offices, even I'm, I've been seeing this in the last few years, not a long time ago, where there's just pads and tampons in the bathroom, yeah. out in the open, not behind this like giant steel, uh, you know, <laughs> right. machine from the 70s that requires quarters, which like I've never, I don't know, I remember the last time I held a quarter in my hand. Mm -hmm. So, so right, like there's this, and, and, and I think the more visibility we have for tampons and, tap, and, and pads, I've been seeing guys on TikTok, young men posting these TikToks saying, I'm now keeping tampons and pads in my bathroom, even though I live with three other dudes, so that when women come over, they feel comfortable, mm. right? And like, wow. it's those things that like are small, yeah. but so meaningful. But and that, but I think it's good that we're talking about it. I, I, who knew the conversation was gonna go there? But as men, <laughs> if you're a man listening to this, like, so we should be asking. We should be asking. We should mm -hmm. be normalizing the conversation. Mm -hmm. And again, I had no idea that I found it, like felt that it was weird. Well, we right? don't, and also as a single guy, right? You think about how comfortable most of the time women make their places for us. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we do the same. Like even just saying it like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, wow. I never, like I have stuff like that because of my daughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as a single guy, or even like, or even maybe you haven't moved in yet, and you're dating somebody seriously. Also, but then this, but, but, but even but your but friends. The other reason is too. You don't want. You know, most <laughs> I've dated women like so. Where you got these pads? So who else is here? You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so like, like no, nah, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> it's because I respect women. Sure you do. <laughs> I want to. I want to just go to one before because we're. I know we're going to wrap up soon. I want to go back to body image for a second because. Um, in my book, I talk about my interesting relationship I have with my body and being a skinny kid growing up and wanting to, you know, like, you know, watching Rocky and, you know, Schwarzenegger and wanting to be big and strong and buff because, you know, in some level, 
of the male experience that's what kind of makes you like an alpha and like you get respect and um i'm and i you know so i always kind of look at my body and looked at it and felt like i wasn't big enough right and i'm wondering if you like what your relationship has been to your body for the longest of my life i was i was really skinny actually which is crazy and skinny always the shortest one in the class this is what it's just what it was right for a long like long time all the way until like prior to like my second kid and then you know i went through a divorce gained weight and then why i gained when i gained the weight is when i started taping all this stuff you know so like it was time when people thought i was at my happiest and i don't know why people think it's very interesting when you gain weight in a way mm. nobody says anything to you if you lose they can't wait to say hey skinny mini and yeah. all this other stuff <laughs> but when you're gaining and i'm like y'all wasn't worried about me because hmm. i was skinny the whole time so why y'all not worried about me now mm-hmm. and i think that's a psyche too because most people i mean when you i don't know it's so it's something interesting about it because i end up seeing things from both sides of everything yeah well, now you've been both, so I'm curious. Yeah, where are you the most comfortable? Well, well two things. I, I learned all. I learned one thing. I learned that anybody's body is none. Of, is none of our business. What mm-hmm. their body, what their situation with their bodies. I think that's why we have to watch what we say to people about their physical image. Yeah, right. And like I think people think it's cool to be like, oh, you, no, you don't. I didn't do this for that. So like, you don't have to. Yeah, it's fine. If you say I look great, it's, it's almost a certain way you say things. And then I remember watching like, and then it was just random, but like you know, when Walter Payton was going through everything and Walter was this, you know, big running back, man, great shape. And he started losing all this weight. And these, these, these journalists, everybody was being mean, Mm. you know, unfortunately I saw that with, with Chad, you know, you know, when he lost, you started losing weight. People, people could be really mean, which is why like, I don't, you don't don't know somebody's story. You don't know. Yeah. So I I think one of the most important things I learned is even in my journeys is to do this for me. Mm. Mm. It don't have nothing to do with anybody else. It's not like I'm trying to be jacked anything. Seeking validation. Man, I just want to be healthy and I want energy. And that's why I did it. Cause I was like, yo, I'm shooting all these movies and doing all this stuff. I gotta have energy, man. Mm. Were you worried at all that you were, you were known for looking a certain way and being that guy and now you know losing some weight and getting ripped you were going to be seen as another guy was there any any of that stuff i that- just thought it was funny i thought it was fun because when i did bird box most people know i wore a fat suit on that what mm. you did yes because they wanted me to be the chunkier get out version for this mm. and i thought that was interesting so imagine you, you're working on yourself you're doing all this and they like well we want you to wear the fat suit oh <laughs> So what, what did you say to that? Yeah. I did it, and the only reason I did it is because I looked at it as a character, right? Okay. I'm playing a character. This ain't me, so I'm playing a character. Ain't a big deal. But then after that, I was like, I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. Okay, like if you don't want me for what I'm like, that's fine. But then I, I do understand character work. So that's another thing. So yeah. it was a weird thing where I knew this character was nothing like me. So it wasn't a big deal. But at the same time, I was like, dang, you work hard for that. Like, Yeah. But when you look in the mirror now, and... And you, you know, and you're by yourself. Do you look in the mirror and you like what you see? I love what I see. You know, some people that, you know, they be like, don't lose too much. Like, fam, I, I don't, first of all, this, it goes up and down all year long anyway. I think that's what people don't realize. Yeah. Which is why, like, when I did the movie Britney Runs a Marathon, it actually inspired me because it taught, when she stopped wearing herself in the movie, like the character. Great movie, by the way. I'm like, that's what, that's what it is. Don't stop. Yeah. 
Stop putting that type of, just feel good. What if you just feel good? Yeah. You're doing all the right things. You're not going to be able to keep an accurate count on what this is. No. If you do, you're a lunatic and you ain't got no time. <laughs> you got too much time in your hand. In my opinion. But it's one of those things where like, when I look at myself, even the way I look with my gray, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody, oh, wait. Well, you look so much younger if you color it. But like, no, I couldn't wait to look like an older black man. I've been looking forward to this my whole life. All the cool look, dudes look in my here. family look just like this. That's, you got the color right in here. Brother, I, I, this is... No, I, I'm saying I got it. That's what I'm saying. That's good for you, but I'm saying like, I get it. <laughs> no, but I, I want I want what you got where you comfortable just Brother, wearing it you all that. You got to just let... Cause, but this, this thing about it, it's from the men in my family. I thought they looked cool. Like, I mm. think, like, when I watch 70s movies and stuff like that, like, the brothers look, they just like, they just like, man, that's how I look, right? <laughs> so I, was like, I respect that, which is why, like, you know, I, I, you know, in Clouds, I like the fact that you let Mr. We, like, you let me, you didn't ask me to color anything. I was able to just wear my beard like I did. And I think it's something distinguished about saying that. Because um, I think we do some ageism stuff too to people. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all of it. But I like, I like hearing that because at least for my personal journey, what's been helping me the most is is switching from an aesthetic, like, oh, I want to look a certain way to how do I want to feel? And then asking like, well, why do I want to work out? Because I want to be ripped and fill out my shirt because I'm insecure or I'm feeling less confident or do I want to have energy and be able to move and like not have to drink three coffees a day or whatever it is. And I and I really respect that. And I also respect that you look in the mirror and you can, you can like what you see. Brother, I looked at, I, I posted this other day, these two red carpet photos for myself. And it's not even about the I can see the happiness. Mm -hmm. And mm. it's a couple friends I see like that. Like I and I I've never told them this, and I should, but my friend Mike Epps, who's a comedian actor too, you could just see the difference between happiness and when somebody's unhappy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when you see that, like if you watch certain specials with people or things, you're like, dang, that just was a weird time in their life. And then you see a newer thing, you're like, no, yeah. that looks so you just look refreshed. Mm. And that's what I think if people focus on that more than just like, just I'm gonna look ripped, you know? Yeah. I like that I look refreshed. Mm. Yeah. And my refreshing journey has like helped my cousin Rashida, we we work out on Sundays, we box, and you know, she was going through some health things, but just to see her healthier and just she just saw me like posting about but that's what it should be. It wasn't about how we look, we just wanted to feel better. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, dang, I'm able to inspire her to want to feel better. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to. You're attracted to me feeling better. You're mm. like, oh, that's, I want to feel better like him. I love that. And that's I what it that. is. I look, to me, I look, I look refreshed and that's all I care. And that's about. what you, and that's what, like when I comment on, you look great. It's, it's based on how you, how I feel like you feel, mm. right? Like you, like you feel great. Yeah. And I know we're running out of time. So we do our rapid, our rapid fire. fire. Rapid fire. You ready? Uh oh. Welcome to this week's Man Enough Podcast Rapid Fire Questions. Was there ever a time that you didn't feel man enough? Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, it's weird. The most vulnerable I've ever felt was going through a divorce. Mm. And because I, I feel like I lost. Mm. I feel like Why? I couldn't, because as a man, I'm supposed to be able to keep the family together and do this and do that. And that's when I learned it wasn't just about me and... You know, as a man, I could have did a bunch of things better, right? As a man, but it's, I just didn't feel, I felt weak, man. I, I'm just mm. being honest, I felt very, very, that was the first time like the kids was away from me too, and it was just a lot. Was that one of the, was that the first time you really felt it? Like, did you, what about when you were younger, growing up in Chicago? Did you ever, did you ever feel it as a, as a kid? <laughs> no, which is interesting. I was a very overconfident nerd. <laughs> overconfident. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really was. It's, in my mind, the way I look now is how I always look, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even have a beard, but I felt like I had a beard. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Good beard energy. But, but that's what made it, when I think about it, that's what made it tough. Mm. I didn't know I could ever feel like that. I, I, I literally felt like less of a man because I couldn't keep the family d- dynamic together. Mm. That took a lot out of me. Yeah, I can it imagine. really did. Mm. It was like a couple of years of just not feeling like a, you know, you didn't. I didn't feel strong for my kid. I just felt a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, dang. And it took, you know, once again, it took some self care to get through that, and it took a couple of years of that. Yeah. When is the last time that you cried? <laughs> what was I watching the other day? Okay, no, what uh, Hallmark movie? The Hallmark. <laughs> which which Hallmark movie? What movie the last made me cry the other day. Um, you know what's crazy? I, I I try to let out, and you know what's funny? It was happy tears the other day, actually, which was interesting. I tears was just, or tears? I mm-hmm. was just crying. Just I was so um, happy. I mean, like I said, you know, I was going through a situation with little man and everything just recently, you know, concluded with all this, the, the messy part of it. And uh, it felt like it was a weight lifted off me. Mm-hmm. And I could finally just freely do this do do it the right way you know and but yeah it was that was crazy but i cried tears of joy i just drove mm. i even know who to call i was like i'll call somebody i guess but i was just happy mm. and yeah it was tears of joy i mean and then i look i cry all the time i don't mind tearing up because it's you look we in a crazy time man where like it's so many things that happen and you know i it's tough man when you know you see you know police get off that that's done obvious crimes to people and like they ain't acting like they life don't matter and that's tough you know it's a young man in jail now for no reason uh, that i think about all the time i've actually gotten closer to his mom matthew russian and um you know i just think about you know just that's that's the type of thing that make me cry just because i want you just want things to be better you're like when when are we what is the rocket science to this like what are we not voting in right is it these judges and Mm-hmm. Ooh, just trying to figure everything out. Mm. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. When was the last time that you needed help and were willing to ask for it? Mm. That was recently, really. Um, and it's a well, you know, some it's a couple of times. Like I don't mind asking for help. Um, like I'm really close to my past in Chicago, so it's me always constantly calling her. Like, all right, look, I got it. This is happening now. <laughs> you know. Um, but more recently, it was, you know, I don't know if I asked him, but he helped. It was my son, Judah. Judah, Judah's 11, but he's so smart. Like, if we, I told him this. I said, bro, if if I was your age, you'd be my best friend. Like, for real. Like, mm-hmm. I would hang out with you all the time. Cause mm-hmm. you, I didn't know kids like you. So I had to, like, dumb down sometimes or whatever to be make friends. Because, I like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And I had to tell him this recently, too, before he has his friend group now. But for a minute, he didn't. And I'm like, bro, believe me, you are, like, legit cool. <laughs> like, me and my friends love you. You would be, you know, if we didn't talk about other stuff, you would be on a group text. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I got one for you. Yeah. What's um, a tendency of, of yours or something about yourself that, that you struggle with, something that you wish would better, or that you work to be better? I guess this more or less, this more or less with my dating life really is that I guess I could be a little more, but I'm easily irritated. Like I'm 41. It's like certain 
patience. You just like, what did you say? Y'all want to hear this all the time? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so I think I could be a lot more patient when it comes. Like, my, my publicists and all the w- women in my life say they're like, real, come, okay, you're not talking to because of what? I'm like, mm-hmm. I know, but I know this is going to happen again and I'm going to be irritated. So mm-hmm. I could just, I don't know, I could chill out. I could be a little more, I don't know if it's patience. It's just less irritable, I guess. But I don't know if that comes with more age. tolerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tolerable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, but. I guess a little more, but I don't want to be like, I don't want to just be laying, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I, I date to marry. So like, I always think about like, if you keep doing, because that's what you marry. And people always think it's about just happiness. It's really, is the, the most irritating thing about this person. Can I deal with yeah, that? Yeah. You're choosing someone's flaws. That's <laughs> yeah, what dating yeah, is. Exactly. Actively, deliberately being, can I live with what makes you nuts? And, and we got to remember that they're choosing ours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yep. All right. Uh, and this is a uh, final one here. Uh, imagine we're 60, 80, 90 years in the future. You are a, you're a ghost at your own funeral. <laughs> what do you hope that is, what do you hope is said about you as the kind of man that you are and the way you walk through life? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I will want people to say that I was a really great friend, um, but more or less really inspiring, an inspiring friend. Like I was, I'm the friend that you can't, you can't BS or just like oh, I'm just nah. I'm gonna push you, and um, I would hope people at the funeral. I would love to see success stories from people I pushed. Mm. Where they like, well, it was moments this was gonna happen when I talked to Rail and this is what it was. And I had to change and really focus up. So that's that's actually what I would wanna hear. I mean, like what would you want your kids to say about you? If so so funny, Brittany wrote me <laughs> this is when she first started writing, babe. She was like seven, something like that, where she was like consistently like, I'm writing stuff. It wasn't Father's Day or nothing like that. It was just a visit to Chicago and they were still there and I was, you know, dropping them off or whatever. And uh, she's like, oh, Dad, I forgot to give you this. I'm like, what is this? Mm. And I read it, and it's this note, and it's just saying the most regular little kid thing. She's just like, I'm really proud of you. I look up to you. You're living your dreams. I want to be someday just like you, mm. and I love you. And it was just that simple. And I sat in that car and cried <laughs> for a minute. They like because the, they I dropped them off their grandparents' house. Like, like, hey man, you okay out there? <laughs> man. And it was just the most beautiful thing. Like, so for me is anything is that um and they they they've said it to me before. So that's what I love about them is I'm proud of the fact that like I represent dreams coming true to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when she wrote that at the age, I was like, wow, you really seeing what's happening. Also, little girl, you can get whatever you want from me from this point <laughs> on. Like, if, 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 lucky enough, she's not even a greedy person, but I'm like, you actually could. Like, I really would give you whatever you mm-hmm. want. But I mean, mm-hmm. thank God you're a nice person. But uh, but yeah, that's what I, I just want them to, to say that they inspired mm. to just do whatever they dream of doing. And I, that's what, that's the one thing I teach them all the time is like, yo, literally you could do whatever you want. Mm. All right. The last final question is, what does it mean for you to be man enough? You know, what's funny. Being man enough is being able to, like, respect and listen to everybody. Mm. You know, all the things that's like, 
you know, that was put on men to be a certain way. I mean, we talking about, we, we took everything from like transphobia, homophobia, all that stuff, right? People, it's still men out here don't think you man enough if you're friends with certain people, if you defend, like fam, like first of all, if you do love people, everybody could do whatever they want to do. That's what I love about somebody like Dwayne Wade and seeing everything he's done mm-hmm. with his daughter. Like, mm-hmm. yo, like that's a that's a man move to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a straight up man move. Mm. And to be able to take all the criticism that comes with that, mm-hmm. and you hope that other men look like fam. Like, yeah, that's how you stand up for your children. Mm. That's that's what a man does. I love that. You accept your babies and whoever for who they are. Mm. That's a real man move. You know what I'm saying? That makes you man enough, for real. Well, my friend, Rel, mm. you are man enough. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Rel. And uh, right after the break, we'll be right back with uh, with a recap. Welcome back to the Man Enough podcast. And wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Blown away. That was really what cool. What a good dude right there. What did you think? I mean... Right. He would talk about his family and his kids and when he would do so with such pride and this number one, dispel this myth that black men don't want to be daddies and want to be present. Mm. There are there are certainly them like there are in other cultures as well. Yeah. yeah. But um, I just love that we got to hear this man talk about his family. That was sweet. Mm, and hear him talk about buying the whole shelf of tampons and pads <laughs> oh for his God. daughter. That's just, I loved that visual. What did he say? Like, the checkout lady thought he was running a shelter or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was making eye contact. The first time I met Rel, he, I don't know if I had an idea of what he would be like. You know, he's a busy guy. He's shooting multiple movies at a time. He's mm. really in demand. I was grateful that he even agreed to do the movie. Mm. I was really surprised at how open he was. And then he like really enjoyed talking. Like, remember we sat down and there's always this moment, I think, between men. I don't know if you felt this, Jamie, um, but when you don't really know somebody, mm-hmm. there's like, how do you, I, what's the icebreaker? I feel I'm, I'm much more comfortable with women in that area mm-hmm. where if I sit down, I feel like I can just say, hey, how are you? What's going on? And, you know, it's like that face-to-face thing. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable in the face-to-face thing with women. Ah, um, mm. and in a, in a completely platonic way, of course, but with yeah, men, me too. so we, here we were, we were sitting down, he had his assistant next to him and, uh, and I just, even though I'm the director of the movie and I'm the boss, I was like, I kind of, I felt intimidated. I'm like, what do mm. I talk to him about? So we started talking and he was, he was like wide open, mm. just like open heart, wide open, starts talking about his kids and his daughter, starts talking about Hallmark movies and he, <laughs> and like, he loves them, he makes them cry. And I was like, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, and he was just, I just loved his perspective on everything, especially his last answer. When we asked him like, what does it mean to you to be man enough? Mm. I thought that was powerful. Mm. Just a good dude. Mm-hmm. Really good dude. How about you? How'd you feel about Yeah, it? I loved it. I loved his last answer too. I love the term man move. I feel like that should man be move. hashtag man, man move. move hashtag right? man move. Yeah. Yeah. So many powerful reflections. And I, feel like he was having them in real time, which is something, you know, he was saying. Especially when you talked. I mean. Every, th- every time you said something, he was like, oh. Damn, he was every I time. I never thought about that. Which was really good. All of us made him reflect. the stats and yeah. the knowledge and like, first of you all, where you keep that. that information. It's, I don't know. See, you actually wrote the book on men and remembered everything you wrote, whereas I'm like, half of it was just therapy. You'll see. No, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> You're supposed to remember your therapy. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. But, but I think it's really remarkable that he was able 
I mean, that he had that much wisdom on the cuff. And it makes yeah. me think like if this was more of a mainstream conversation, if these kinds of conversations happened more often, how much more elevated um, our, you know, discussions about masculinity could be. Again, in the way that I have these conversations with women all the time. I have these conversations, I have face-to-face -face friendships with women waiting for the subway at the grocery store. We just, will start talking about the deepest, uh, yeah. you know, things that we relate to as women. And I want that for men so badly. You guys can go zero to a hundred. Zero to hundred. It's like, it's not even a thing. Oh. You like, you put a woman in front of a woman and sometimes you guys, oh. like, it's just right boom away. and there's tears or there's something mm -hmm. or you're hugging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we have like a, yeah. we, have, we need sports. We do have and tend to need activities or a workout or a basketball game or like something we, like we need a ball mm. between us. Just like we need a, a handshake hand. and an arm between yeah. our hearts when we hug. Mm. So Liz, what right? did you, what, watching three men talk, being involved of course, but like talking to three men, mm -hmm. um, what would you say if there was something that you felt was hopeful or like, you know, maybe, mm. what was some of the moments that was that? I mean, that came from that? I think, the connection right and the intimacy and the willingness to be vulnerable which sounds really sort of basic no that doesn't sound basic the willingness <laughs> to be vulnerable rare um and i also loved how listened i was as a woman as part of that group because mm -hmm. i think um that's part of it too right that male bonding doesn't require um disrespecting women or ignoring women or excluding women Mm -hmm. Um, so I loved seeing you all bond and I also appreciated feeling a part of that. Um, and, and feeling like what I had to say was, was, was heard and I wasn't interrupted and you know, all sure that, all that fun stuff. Mm. Um, and I loved how much he brought his daughter into this, right? Like she wasn't here, but I felt like she was here yeah. with us. Um, so yeah, all those things. Mm -hmm. I, I hope and maybe this is a lofty hope, but I hope that this work and this this thing we're doing together can help more women feel that. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope that, like, because I, I, I've encountered a lot of women, and I'm sure far more for you, who who tend to feel rather hopeless Yeah. around men. And it always break, it breaks my heart. It also, I'm going to be really honest, it also breaks my heart that oftentimes folks like Jamie or myself can feel like unicorns. Because we're not. I mean, we're like, if you think about, it's just human. We're doing really the bare minimum, right? Bare minimum. And yet, for some reason, that is elevated. And I just want women, I want women to feel hopeful that like men, that men are good. There are good men. And there are men that do the work. And the more we can talk about it, the more we can show men like Rel. Well, mm. here's what I think. I think women are not going to feel more hopeful because we're talking about it. They're going to, well, yeah, we have to right. do it. They they do do it. Hopefully, the man, hopefully we one. have men, more men want to talk about it with us and stuff. Where they'll start yeah. feeling more hopeful mm -hmm. is when behind closed doors, when the cameras are off and stuff mm -hmm. and at home and with yeah. our babies and stuff like that, how we're living yeah. it. I got it. And there's a lot of men time. and there's a lot of men that are living it already. Indeed. There are. For sure. Um, but I just, I just hate that I, I hear so often how, how disappointed mm. we have, we have been to many women because we've heard so many. So and I've been guilty of that too, and I have heard a lot, and we're just trying every day to be better. Stand in line, baby boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, this was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, audience, for yes. listening. If you like 
if you like what you hear, if you like the conversation, come back and join us for more. Please uh, hit subscribe and like us and follow us on our social media accounts and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also follow Liz Plank. Okay. Follow Liz Plank and buy Liz's, buy, I don't know. Buy Liz's, buy Liz's book. book. Buy Liz's book. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I don't want to. Which By the way, it just came out in French. It did. If you are French speaking, okay. it's voudrais l'acheter en français. Uh-huh. C'est pour l'amour des hommes. For the love of men. Um, and they follow you where? Um, on Instagram, Feminist Fabulous. TikTok, Liz Plank. By the way, she's the queen of TikTok. Uh, she, she's trying to keep up with I, the I, I, I reach out. We, we, oh, yeah, the both no, of us. No, 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 I got no, no, 17 no, no. followers. We, that's a, uh, 17 committed followers. My TikTok started by me asking her what to do. <laughs> I was like, well, how does this work? What what should I be doing? And she's like, just just duet. I'm like, what is a duet? What is, what is it? And so she was my TikTok coach. All right. Ugh. That's All right, people my are going next to, career. Yeah. People are going to like a press stop. Okay. Soon, yeah. So. The press <laughs> stop soon. Uh, definitely get her book. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us, and uh, and we'll see you next time. See you next thank time. You. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter and Gamble, in partnership with Cadence Thirteen and Odyssey Company, hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Mahotra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Kerry Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Annabella Casanova, Mateen McCullough, and Sage Price are our producers. Maria Fernandez and Nicole Pritchard are our consulting producers. Josh Schneider is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.